morning. So glad that you are with us. My name is Chris, one of the pastors here. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to jump into the gospel according to Mark. We're going to be in chapter 2 if you want to turn there. But before we do that, I have the opportunity to share a brief update with you uh, from our kids' ministry. Normally, you would be hearing from Kai or Emily this morning, but with some illness in the kids' ministry team, uh, we, uh, we had to move some things around. So I wanted to share just a few updates specifically about VBS, and I'm going to read off a text, so forgive me for pulling out my phone here. Uh, but I wanted to let you know VBS is coming up uh, on July, I believe it's 11th through the 14th. But I wanted to let you know a month out, we've already got 55 students registered for it, and that's just the start. So that's exciting and terrifying at the same time, right? So this is the next part of that ask with it, is you can be a part. Uh, you can be a part of ministering and being a person of impact in the students' lives this week. It's Monday through Thursday in the morning, uh, and, uh, and so we're looking for some people to help out. We have a champion, meaning someone who's in charge of snacks and games and Bible, uh, but we need people to come around and support them. And so in the lobby, John's going to remind you of this probably at the end. In the lobby, uh, there's a whole wall. It's VBS. It's got spots for you to sign up, to sign up in specific areas that you'd love to serve, and someone will help you figure out exactly what that looks like. There's also ways to donate items down there. So please stop by. Take some time there. We really need some more people, but especially in nursery. So we offer nursery to our volunteers because we want our volunteers to be able to serve, and that's a way to bless our volunteers. And so it's just our volunteers, kids in the nursery, but we're looking for some people to help during the week, Monday through Thursday, even just one day out of the week. We would love for you to be in the nursery, and so you can sign up down there as well. And, uh, and there's great ways to get plugged in. We're looking forward to the week that we're going to spend together with VBS. And God's doing some really amazing things with our kids. And I expect nothing different during our VBS week, which is a blast here. And uh, you will be exhausted, but you will know that you have made a difference uh, in your exhaustion. And so, uh, so thanks in advance for signing up and being a part of that <clears throat> and part of the team here. So... Like I mentioned, we are in Mark chapter 2, and as you've heard many times already this morning that this is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Uh, I've realized that it's been a couple years, or I don't even know if we've ever done this. We've always asked questions of moms, and we've given away, you know, planters and different things to uh, the person who's come the furthest and a few other things. So I'm going to do that this morning with the dads that are here. And we'll just see what the results are here in this one. So the first one is the dad who came the furthest this morning. So is there a dad that came from over 30 miles away this morning? That was the exact same result in first service. So I'm going to switch this up and see if, if it parallels first service. Is there a child that came over 30 miles away to visit a dad this morning? Okay, this question was a bad question. So, oh, wait, someone, oh, wait, Lauren's here. I mean, this is like home, right? But you've, like, gone away and gone to school and stuff. And so, so Lauren from Chicago, that's, is that, okay. All right. So I know there's change unfolding. But uh, so Chicago, so Lauren, so happy that you're back home, but coming from that distance. So we'll give Lauren a round of applause, coming back home, <laughs> be with dad. <laughs> Lauren wishes she stayed in Chicago because we just clapped for her. Uh, so Lauren, we have a donut for you afterwards. You can take your dad and grab a donut after. Okay. Um, what about the uh, dad with the oldest child? Does anyone have a child over 50 years old that's in service today? 
the, the child, the child is over 50, over 40, a child. All right, all right. Uh, okay, John and then my parents. So over 45, oh, do that. This is really going well. This is, this is I'm really excited that I, I started off service this way. So we'll tell you what, if you have a child over 45, you have a donut for you as well. There we go, we got a donut afterwards for you. Oh, <laughs> this is just, I should just stop, uh, but I'm gonna keep going. I like the torture here. The youngest child, maybe we can hit this one. Someone has a child under the year, uh, one year old. Rocky. Rocky, do you have the youngest in the back? What, uh, how old? Seven months? One month. All right. So anyone beat one month? I see pointing, and I don't know where the pointing's going to. Two months. Awesome. Well, congratulations, you all. Uh, Rocky, we have a donut for you. We have donuts for you. And in fact, we have donuts for everyone. So... <laughs> Moms, you get to be special and have, like, the planters. Uh, you, dad, you know, dads, you just get to feel like you want a donut or something. So, but seriously, there's donuts afterwards for everyone. Uh, there'll be donuts outside. So uh, hang out, uh, eat a donut, look at donuts, smell donuts, whatever uh, is best for your body. Um, you do that. So we're going to move on uh, since this went so well. <laughs> Hopefully the next few minutes is a little bit better than that. So, all right. <laughs> All right, so as we mentioned food, as we mentioned Father's Day, uh, food is always uh, a part of celebrations, or generally always part of celebrations, especially for us as Americans. When we think about different days, we think about Father's Day. Uh, we're grilling today. I'm assuming some other people are grilling something or uh, smoking some meat or something, or you vegetarians, you'll enjoy your, uh, your, your veggies. Uh, but there's something that... We just love about meals. When you think of Thanksgiving, we think of food, right? Christmas, we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Jesus' birth. We give gifts, and then we eat. Your anniversary or birthday comes along, and you really hope or expect to go somewhere nice to eat. Maybe you have a favorite place. We just celebrate around food. Food is central to our celebrations. And this is no different in Scripture, we see meals happening, we see references to food, we see illustrations using food, and Jesus loved to eat. Can we get an amen? Amen, that's right. And we follow Jesus, so we get to love to eat. Jesus was said to have always been at a meal, going to a meal, or coming from a meal. Read scripture and see how this is true. Jesus seems to just center relationships and time around meals. Jesus cooks breakfast, he feeds crowds of thousands, he gives us a meal that we celebrate and remember his death, and then ultimately, he promises one day that we're gonna eat together at a great banquet, a great feast. And Jesus and the word and God central, centers things around food and we see the blessing even in the garden of food. But Jesus Love food so much that he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. I mean, you've got to be around food and enjoying it to have even that accusation there. So today we're going to see Jesus in Mark chapter 2 at a meal. So I want to invite you to turn to chapter 2 if you're not already there. Excuse me. And I want to remind you that Mark is the second book in the New Testament. 
It is the one of three synoptic gospels. There's four gospels, meaning good news and scripture. And synoptic is their central. There's three. Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke have very similar stories, very similar narrative. They're just told from different perspectives. And then John is this outlier that tells the story of Jesus, but tells it in a radically different way. And so Mark is one of these three synoptic gospels. And if you recall, Mark was not an eyewitness to Jesus. He didn't know Jesus, but he knew Peter, who Peter was a disciple. And Mark was a scribe of Peter. Mark also went on a missionary journey with Paul and uh, Barnabas. And Mark wrote this not as history, not as a biography about Jesus, but rather there's two main purposes of why Mark wrote the gospel. Is one, it was evangelical. He wanted us to know the good news of Jesus Christ, to know salvation, to know the change that comes by knowing Jesus. And he also wrote it, wrote it as a pastoral letter of one that we can learn from of what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow Jesus and to think like Jesus and act like Jesus. So last week, the challenge leaving here was thinking about following Jesus as a disciple is what is that one thing that you're still holding on to? What is it that one thing that prevents you from fully following Jesus? Maybe just thinking of like, hey, I'm going on a trip like our students just left and I'm pulling the suitcase behind me and, and it's like this thing that I just won't let go of, that I attach it or I just, I just can't let it go, but I know it's slowing me down from following Jesus. So what is that one thing? That was a challenge last week. This week, as you walk out of here, I'm gonna give you one challenge and it's gonna revolve around food. It's gonna revolve around a meal. So you can get excited about that, uh, but there's one thing I'm gonna add to that meal um, and that challenge with it. So in Mark chapter two, we're gonna start in verse 13. We're gonna see Jesus interacting with a couple different groups of people here. Mark two, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside a lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law asked, uh, who were, excuse me, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So a number of things to unpack here in this passage today as we think about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple. First, Levi. He's a tax collector. Now, Rome required payment of taxes. And there were individuals who were local in regions, Jews, who were hired by the Roman government to tax people. And so if the government needed $100 per se, they could come along and say, I want 200 And that extra 100 would just go right into his pocket. And the government would say nothing because that was, they were fine with it. That's how these collectors would be paid. And often these tax collectors would be extremely wealthy, but they were deeply hated because they stole and they asked for these exorbitant amounts. The tax collectors were often expelled from synagogues. They couldn't go to church. They're like, sorry, you're not welcome here. You were so much of a social outcast, so much of uh, deemed as a sinner that you couldn't even walk in the doors. And their presence alone was believed to make a house unclean. 
So they would walk into a house and it would be deemed unclean and there would have to be a purifying ritual that would have to be done. And here Jesus comes along and he says, come follow me. And as we saw last week that Peter and Andrew and James and John were already following Jesus, so I'm sure they were with Jesus when he said, come follow me. And I have to imagine these three fishermen looked at Levi, the tax collector, and looked at Jesus and was like, Jesus, are you sure? It's really him? But yet Levi left everything behind. He, as we saw last week, he, he repented. He was going a certain direction, living a certain way, had a certain direction, and he met Jesus and he turned, and his life was transformed. We see Levi start to follow him. As Paul describes it in Ephesians 2, is that, that he encountered this great love of God and the grace and mercy of Jesus. Now, Levi following Jesus was scandalous, just like even the fishermen following Jesus could be seen as scandalous. Jesus did something in this passage that would be even more scandalous. He's like, hey, Levi, let's go to your house and you invite your friends. We're going to have a meal. So who showed up? Well, we see in verse 15 that they're having dinner and there are tax collectors and sinners there. Now, Mark uses this term sinners because the Pharisees of the day, the religious leaders, would clump anyone who is not devoted to following Torah, the first five books of the Bible in the Old Testament, call anyone a sinner. They are not following it perfectly. So this is the non-religious, this is the people that just were, had, didn't have interest in following Torah, the thieves, prostitutes, the poor, the outcasts, the, 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 the broken. And they came, and they came near Jesus. And I want you to think about for a moment this scene. We've got Levi and the disciples and Jesus and tax collectors and these quote-unquote sinners hanging out at a meal. This looked nothing like temple or church would have looked like. Think of the conversations and the words that would have been used at this meal. If there was music playing, think of the type of music that would be playing. And they're not there just sipping on water. Jesus is hanging out at this meal with tax collectors and sinners. He welcomed people to the table. He joined them at the table. Preston Sprinkle, he wrote these words, and as I read this this week, just reminded me of what Jesus was doing. He wrote, labels are easy. It's just easy to throw labels at people or groups of people. Relationships are hard. Quick categorizations are anemic. Those are tax collectors and those are sinners. But listening to one's narrative is rich and exhilarating, and it is much more Christian. It's easy just to label, classify, like we see the Pharisees in this passage, just push them aside. But we shouldn't be surprised of who Jesus hung out with. Because throughout Scripture, we see God going to many different men and women. Think of Abraham. We, we may exalt him, but he was covered in fear and not fully obedient to God. Think of Isaac, who constantly resisted God's plans. Jacob, who lied and deceived and manipulated people. David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. Rahab, who was a prostitute. 
God used them and us. When we encounter God, when we encounter Jesus, we have the opportunity to change, to be transformed, to go a different way. Because you can look at your life before Jesus and it may look radically different than your life now. Some of us have histories where we're like, yeah, we don't want to talk about that. But it's meeting Jesus and going a different way. God uses us, broken sinners. He transforms us. He gives hope to the hopeless. He calls the outcast. He gives meaning to the meaningless. And he includes those that others have just labeled and pushed away. So far in our narrative that we've looked at, we've met Jesus, we've met Levi, we've met the tax collectors and sinners. Now the Pharisees. Verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked him, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So let's take a moment and understand who the Pharisees are, and then let's address their question for a moment as we get a fuller picture uh, of what this scene is, is unfolding. So for those of you that um, have heard of Pharisees, or maybe you grew up knowing Scripture and, and you've been taught about Pharisees in Sunday school or somewhere, are they generally like, yeah, Pharisees, or boo? What, what's the response generally, right? Like, What do we get taught? Boo, right? Yeah. Yeah, they are not seen as good guys whatsoever. They are the ones that are constantly pointed at and say, that's not the example we want to follow. But in Jesus' day a bit, and definitely before Jesus' day, they were considered the quote-unquote good guys. And this is why. They had a high view of Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They were serious about keeping the word of God. They were faithful to God. They tried, to keep ev- they tried to get everyone in the nation to follow Torah, all 613 laws of Torah, because they believed if there was one day where everyone in the nation kept all 613 laws, then the Messiah would return. That was their goal. And what they did is they rejected all Roman and Greek culture. They just pushed it aside and said it was all evil, to stay away. And the word Pharisee means separate ones. So what they did is they pulled back from everything else that they deemed sinful, and they were just there. Now, what I just described, are some of those things good? Yes. Yeah, a high view of the word, of the word being faithful to God, following the word, encouraging others to follow, um, this understanding the, the cultural influences. These are, these are good things. But Jesus had really hard words for Pharisees. Let's look briefly at Matthew 23. You can read this later. But this is how Jesus described the Pharisees. They don't practice what they preach. They overburden the people, but they don't assist. They have spiritual experience and lifestyle, but it's performance for them. They want honor and esteem socially. They want to be looked upon as upright. They contradict their behavior by, uh, by their behavior. They contradict the values of the kingdom of God, what Jesus was coming for. They block the path for people to enter the kingdom of God. They've created a culture and a following of religious hypocrites. They place greater importance upon wealth and power and influence than God. 
They maintain legalistic standards of faith but violate the basic values of faith. They focus upon external appearances but are internally corrupt. And they've brought a curse upon the people. This is how Jesus described the Pharisees. But remember, the Pharisees liked rules. I like rules. Like some of you are, are rule followers. You like rules. They saw themselves as guardians of right and wrong. They were quick to criticize others. They were quick to see the bad and the ugly in the world. They desired more people to be just like them. They put the rule or the law first, and then they dealt with the person. They felt more comfortable with other Pharisees than non-Pharisees. And they felt people needed to stand up for the values found in Torah. And they also did not eat and drink with people they considered far from God. So in everything I've just described about Pharisees, how many of you saw something that you can relate to or connect to? I'm raising my hand. There's been a lot of conversation over the last 10 years, and some of you won't like this. There's been a lot of conversation over the last 10 years about how the modern American evangelical church looks way too much like Pharisees. And when we look at these things, it's one of those things of like, ah, there's some truth there. See, they started in the right spot with this idea of holiness. Yes, beautiful, of keeping the word. Yes, beautiful. Being faithful to God, yes, beautiful, but it became something else. It ballooned into something so much more. It came about them and power and influence, and they lost sight of God's heart for people. This is why they asked this question. In verse 16, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I could be completely wrong here, and maybe this was a completely innocent question, but knowing the way Jesus spoke of them and knowing how they operated, this is a criticism of Jesus. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, why does it matter? That's a good question. Because those you ate with, especially in Jesus' Jesus's day, is who you consider to be in, or who you consider to be clean. If you ate with someone, it was an offering of friendship and intimacy and community. And a good rabbi would never eat with tax collectors and sinners. Even today around the world, though, meals are a boundary marker. I want you to think of the meals that you've had this week, those that you've eaten with or those that you will eat with, they are those that generally that you welcome in, that you're a part of, that you're comfortable with. And think of those that you will not eat meals with or you would not even consider inviting to a meal. These are boundary markers that we all have whether we think about them or not. Think of the school lunchroom table, the lunch at work, who you've invited or who you've not invited places. Food is this boundary marker. And this is why the Pharisees asked the question. And Jesus comes back and he says, in verse 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. So you're not calling a doctor unless you're married to the doctor or that doctor's a friend unless you're sick. Jesus is saying, hey, I came for the sinners. This is why I'm here. This is the mission of Jesus is to go to those who he's calling to repent and follow him, those who are far from him. There's a phrase in scripture that says this. It says, the son of man came. And it's used three different times. Now, Jesus is called the Son of God 
to recognize his divinity, but he's also called the Son of Man to recognize his humanity. There's three times in the New Testament that this phrase is used. Last week we used one of them when we looked for, at Mark 10, 45. And Jesus said this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's, here's like a what. This is something Jesus came to do. Not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom. We talked about this last week. The second time this phrase is used is found in Luke chapter 19. And it says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So he came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom, and also to seek and to save the lost. So this is the what. This is why Jesus came. But the third time it's used is really about the method. Can you imagine what the method is in light of what we've been talking about? In Luke 7, 34, it says this. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The third time this is used, the Son of Man came, is about eating and drinking. The first two is about serving, giving life away, seek and save the lost, how it's going to happen, well, I'm going to go eat and drink with them. You're like, what? Eating and drinking? This is what Jesus was doing? This is what it's about? People gravitate to where they're loved. You gravitate to where you're loved. You gravitate to people and places where you're known and you're loved. So does everyone else. Jesus desired to create environments where people were known and loved. He opened tables. I mean, we, as I mentioned earlier, we have communion, this table to be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice that he died for you. We do that in remembrance. But Jesus, in his ministry, he opened up tables where relationships could be formed and walls could come down, where conversations can happen, conversations can happen, and ideas shared and questions asked where discipleship can happen, where friendship and life change can take place. In these places, there were tables. In the early church in Acts 2, we often point to Acts 2.42, of like, we need to be like the early church. Well, there's four main things that they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so they studied the word, and to fellowship, meaning this life-on-life connection, People were known and loved and cared and you knew and loved and cared others. They broke bread. They had a meal. Not just a cracker and juice. They broke bread together. They ate together around a table. And they prayed. Their four core values, the word of God, life on life fellowship, a meal, and prayer. This was Jesus. This was his method. See, meals are an opportunity to celebrate God's grace. It's good grace. The meals are opportunities to form community. Meals are opportunities to invite others into the kingdom. And you may be saying, like, I get this. But do we understand that this is, this is an opportunity as disciples to form other disciples, to pour into other people? That it's not just about consuming food. It's about the relationship that's there. So here's the challenge this week. I already told you part of it, right? It was to eat a meal. So this is a challenge. I encourage you to eat or drink with someone that does not know Jesus 
or is not walking with Jesus. That's it. So eat or drink with someone who does not know Jesus or is not walking with Jesus. Some of you have your ones, this person you're praying for, and you're like, I don't know how to connect with them. I don't know what to do. Have a meal. Go grab coffee. Hang out. Get to know one another. Connect with one another over a table. Maybe saying like, well, I don't have time. Well, we have seven days a week. I generally try to eat three meals a day. For me, that's 21 opportunities that I've already set aside time to eat. And even if I'm running in some of those, there's other times that I sit down. So it's about purposeful connection. So a meal, share a coffee with someone that doesn't know Jesus or not walking with Jesus. And I want to stretch you a little bit further. Invite someone that you wouldn't normally invite. Invite someone that may be surprised that you invite them. Or even invite someone where someone walks in and goes, huh, like the Pharisees, right? Huh. Who cares what the reaction is? You're sitting at a table. Stretch. Share that meal, that drink. As we wrap up, I want to picture this, this meal again. Jesus is sitting with his disciples. They're there, present at the table. And there's two groups there at that meal. And maybe you fit into one of those two groups. Maybe you fit into that Pharisee group where it's legalism and law and separation and high view of word and the good and the bad of it. You're like, I relate to the Pharisees. I, I, I don't understand why Jesus would eat with people or, or why someone would go to someone like that. For those that relate more to the Pharisees, I want to challenge you and encourage you is please don't miss what God is doing. Jesus is at the table, and Jesus is inviting you to be a part of that table. Don't miss what God is doing at tables all around you because your legalism is pulling you back. Be a part of what God is doing and sit at that table and be ministered to and minister and be a part of what God is doing. Don't miss what God is doing around you at various tables. And then for those that feel more like tax collectors and sinners, that you feel like, yeah, Jesus is sitting at that table, but I don't feel like I am invited or I should be at that table. Because of my past, because of my choices, because of what I'm doing, because of who I am, whatever it is, I don't feel like I can sit at that table. I want you to be reminded that Jesus went to a tax collector's home and sat at a tax collector's table and invited other tax collectors and sinners to eat with him, that you are welcome at the table, and that Jesus wants to bring about a transformation in you. He's not going to leave you the same. You cannot encounter the true saving power of Jesus and not be changed. You will be changed. You are welcome to the table and allow God to change you. You are welcome. You are welcome. You are welcome. Join at that table and allow God and watch God do amazing things. Let's pray. Merciful Father, Lord, I thank you that you invited me long ago to follow you. And Lord, I can point to times throughout my life where I turned 
and I wasn't following you, and you called me back. Father, I thank you for the welcome that you call us to you, and you transform us. For as Paul described in Ephesians, that love and grace and mercy, you take the old and you bring about a new So, Lord, as we talked about last week, it's not about adding Jesus to who we are, but allowing Jesus to transform us from the inside out. For those that have been following Jesus or walking with Jesus or proclaim themselves as a Christian or a follower or a believer, God, I pray that you would renew us in this day and what it means to follow you. Lord, to surrender our identities, our surrender our labels, surrender everything to you, and Lord, be changed and identified squarely with you. Jesus, that we would walk and we would sit at tables and we would engage in conversations with people who don't know you, are not walking with you. Lord, for your glory, for your gain, and God, for the, the blessing of what it means to follow after you. So Lord, I, I pray ahead just blessing and peace and uh, amazing conversation, God, around tables and homes and neighborhoods and coffee shops and restaurants and all the places around the communities that we move. Jesus, use those for your glory and your kingdom. Lord, for anyone here who feels like that tax collector or sinner and doesn't feel welcome to the table, Lord, you're with open arms today saying, Come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And if that's you today, it just begins with a yes, and then to start following Jesus. Just a moment, I'm gonna pause, and just in your own words, just silently before God, just tell God that you are a sinner, you've been trying to walk on your own, and that today you receive his forgiveness, you receive his welcome, that you want to follow after him. So if that's you, just take a moment in the silence to tell God that. Thank you for Jesus, for his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I thank you for the ministry of the Spirit of God, God who works in us and through us and around us. Father, may we walk out of here empowered knowing that we're loved and invited and sent God, by the Father, Father God. Love you and we're so grateful that we get to be a part. Pray this in Jesus' strong, powerful, and wonderful name. Amen. Amen.